This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. And amen. God's good win. All the time. And today is no different as we begin a brand new series called Perfectly Designed. Somebody say that with me out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Perfectly Designed. We've all been to these stores where um, you've, you've seen a knockoff. You, you, you've, you accidentally purchased a knockoff. You thought you were buying a Rolex. You looked down and it was a Romex. You didn't look close enough. Take a look at some of these pictures, some of these knockoffs. These are real. I did not make these up. Look at this first one. If you love uh, Nutella, you'll love its cousin, Nutmaster. I don't know. I'd stay away from that one if I was you. What about, what about this one? This is the North Face's brother, the huge mountain. I don't know. The fit might be a little off on that one. I don't know. But check this one out. Uh, this one is Dove's brother, Dave. I don't know what kind of scent that leaves on you, but I don't think I'd want it on my body. Um, but Dave, thanks for making an appearance. What about this next one? I love this one. It's, I can't believe it's not Butter's cousin. Unbelievable, this is not Butter. Now, in the first service, some people didn't think that was a fake one. They're like, that looks like the one in the store. See, they get you that way. It's unbelievable. This is not butter. I can't believe it. What about this next one? Adidas's, uh, you know, backwards brother, Abibas. Abibas. Now, there are some that are a little harder to catch. Now, if you're a shoe enthusiast, this one will, you'll appreciate this one. If you've got a pair of Nike Air Force Ones, then the one on the left is the real one. The one on the right is the fake one. Now, it's hard. this is harder, isn't it? This is, this is a whole lot harder than Dove and Dave or North Face and the huge mountain. I mean, it's like, you're like, I don't see a difference here. Well, the ones on the right, you bought on Wish for $9. The ones on the left cost you a couple hundred bucks. And you're like, well, it looks the same. The color's the same. Stitching's in the same place. The, the metal buckle looks pretty close. Shoelaces are maybe a little different texture. The whole vent holes are all in the same place. The laces, the stitching, the depth of the engraving, you got to look close. You and I would fall victim to a fake in this circumstance. I would. And then I would just wear them and tell everybody they were real. I mean, it's like it just wouldn't even... Wouldn't even know, but how do you spot a fake? The two ways you spot a fake is through education and verification. Now, you got to be so educated that you're able to pay attention to the details. You got to know what you're looking at and looking for. You got to be able to verify the quality. You got to be able to know, like, this, this is not leather, this is pleather. You got to know the difference. Why does my new purse, my new Louis Vuitton, smell like petroleum and not leather? You got to be educated, you got to verify the quality. 
Our middle child has an infatuation with shoes, primarily Jordans. He is obsessed with Air Jordans. And he got a pair for Christmas from his aunt, and I thought he was going to have a heart attack. And, and he, he knows how to spot a fake. He knows how to spot a fake. He, he knows, to me, they all just look like tennis shoes. I don't know, they all just look like shoes. And, and he's like, no, no, Dad, that, that's in the wrong place. That color doesn't belong there. That's on version whatever, whatever. Um, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. He YouTubes people like hydro-dyeing shoes. And I'm like, what in the world? Why would you put brand-new shoes in a bucket of water with spray paint? Like, what are you doing? Like it, but he loves shoes. He knows how to spot a fake. And, and you might have something in your life where you know you could spot the fake. You, there's something that you're really good at or something that you understand deeper than most and like you know how to spot a fake. So the next thing would be you verify quality. You gotta educate yourself, but you gotta verify the authenticity. Where did it come from? Where did this thing come from? And that's what we're doing today. We're gonna hopefully leave here trained on how to spot the counterfeit. We're gonna leave here trained on, on how to take some next steps. Here's the bottom line truth for the entire series of Perfectly Designed. God is the only designer. The only one. He's the only designer. He's the only one that is producing authenticity and genuine design. God is the only designer, and he even was so nice to give us a user's manual. And today in the series we're beginning called Perfectly Designed, I want to lay a foundation for us today because we're going to talk about some important things in this series. In the series, we'll get a little more practical along the way, but today we got to lay a foundation. There's no one, two, three points. There's no, there's, I didn't make anything rhyme. Like there, there's no alliteration today. Uh, like there's this literally a story and an introduction. And I want to introduce you to something and someone. And you and I need a centered understanding of today's content in order to fully grasp the truths to come in the upcoming weeks of this series. See, we're seeking God's design for our purpose in life, our sexuality, our relationships, our homes, our parenting. And all of that comes from and is able to be truth because it comes from what is called a biblical worldview or a kingdom-centered worldview. In other words, a belief in the real thing, the authentic designer. Now, we've all drank Dr. Thunder. It's not the same. You've all drank regular Dr. Pepper that you can buy, but it's not the same as Dublin Dr. Pepper, where all my safe folks at with the real cane sugar. Not this high fructose nonsense. Give me the real sugar. We've, we've all had the real thing. We've all had real queso, and then we've all had Velveeta. We've all had the real thing. We've all had salsa from Austin and salsa from San Antonio. We've all had fake and real. I ain't apologizing for that. See, the devil offers cheap knockoffs. Lust for love, 
social media for friendship, pleasure for peace. But this is the world you and I live in as Christians. You can't escape it. Elon Musk doesn't have a rocket for you to another planet yet. Like you're here. Like you can't leave. So what are we gonna do about it? Would it be worth your time to wake up in the morning, fight with your kids to get dressed, get in the car to come here to hear sermon series that tickle the ears? Would it be worth it for you to come here and learn three ways to be happier in your cubicle? Or do you want to come here and understand what the Bible has to say about what you're reading in the news and what your kids are hearing at their school? And I can promise you this, Kelly and I or anyone we allow on this platform will never, ever pander. Truth sets us free, not entertainment. So we're going to give you some truth today. And it's a little more teachy than preachy. And, and, and it's important to understand the scriptures we're going to be reading today. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 in the New American Standard, which is a word-for-word translation, a lot like King James and English Standard. Uh, and then we're going to look at what the New Living Translation says, which is more of a thought-for-thought. Thought. And you'll get a general feel um, of it. Look at the New American Standard. It says, do not be conformed to this world. And I put in bold and italics there for you. That's not in there. That's the Greek understanding of it. It's do not be conformed to this age, this generation's ideology. Do not be conformed to this. It's not talking about the general world. And it's talking about do not be conformed to what you are seeing as being paraded as truth in front of you. Do not be conformed to that. But be transformed by the renewing of your, say it out loud. So not changing your heart, following your heart, the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is. So without the renewing of your mind, without the submission to Christ, you're never gonna know what the will of God is. But it's good and it's acceptable and say it out loud. It's perfect. Look what the New Living Translation says. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. And say it one more time. Perfect. When it says changing the way you think, it's repentance. It's the same Greek word for repentance, which doesn't mean to just turn away from sin. If we could all do that in and of ourselves, then Buddhism is true. But that would just be self-righteousness and simple behavior modification. Any psychology textbook will tell you that. But at the, at the end of the day, you and I can't do it on our own. And, and we have to submit to a process of repentance, which means changing our mind. If our mind changes, behaviors and attitudes follow. So let's go a little deeper. You and I are sent into this world, so we must understand our world. Thus, this series perfectly designed. It's just a group of teachings designed to equip you to understand the world we live in 
and how to be sent into it without falling victim to it. Bottom line, God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. Let's just all say that out loud so we can all hear our hearts say it together. Ready, one, two, ready, read. God's way is the best way. 100%. Every time, every scenario, every conversation, every topic, every country, every world, every government, God's way is the best way. In other words, God's way is truth. We're only on page one, and we're already poking at demons. God's way is truth. What is truth? Wouldn't we like to know? We gotta go back to the Bible to find that. It's the Greek word aletheia. It, by definition, the word truth means objectively and universally true in any matter under consideration. Doesn't matter what you're talking about. It is opposed to what is feigned, fictitious, and false. Truth, by definition, is truth. It's true. It says objectively, not subjectively. It's universal, not person to person. Truth is truth. And if we change where we go find that answer, then we're already in trouble. There's only one place to get truth, and it is in Christ, and it is in God's word. It's not relative. It's not case by case. It's not person by person. Truth is truth. When you hear people say, well, that's true for you. That's not true for me but it's a universal and objective thing. Somebody's wrong. Truth is truth. Former leaders of our country have said the same even. Allow me to read some of their direct quotes to you. George Washington said that it is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. Impossible. John Adams said, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Calvin Coolidge said, the foundations of our society and our government rest so much in the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. In other words, you take the focus off God, everything starts to crumble. Grover Cleveland said, all must admit that the reception of the teachings of Christ results in the purest form of patriotism, in the most scrupulous fidelity to public trust and in the best type of citizenship. Fidelity just means truth. Ulysses S. Grant says, hold fast to the Bible as the anchor of your liberties. Write its precepts on your heart and practice them in your life. To the influence of this book, we are indebted for all the progress made in true civilization. And to this, we must look as our guide in the future. Isn't that good news? 
Andrew Jackson was just very bare bones with it. That book, sir, is the rock upon which our entire republic rests. And Ronald Reagan, if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, we will be a nation gone under. I'm gonna tie these quotes in at the end. So bear with me. But it all starts with this question. What is the gospel? If I gave all of you a note card and asked you to define what is the gospel, I wonder what kind of answers we would get. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion. It's a Greek compound word that means really good news. And the attitude of euangelion in the tense it's written, it's always like add 10 exclamation points behind the word. Just the best news you've ever had in your life. It's that kind of news. Not just like, I got good news for you. No, I mean the best news you've ever heard in your life. And there's, there's one God and there's one Savior But how we see the word gospel and how we understand that word determines how we believe and how we live. Let me explain. If the gospel to you is salvation and Jesus' finished work on the cross, you'd be correct. If the gospel to you is the kingdom and the king has ways and beliefs and customs and traditions, you'd be correct too. Both are correct, but the gospel of salvation is under the umbrella of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached about the gospel of the kingdom. He declared himself as king. And as Western citizens, it's difficult for us because we we escaped a kingdom and rebelled. And here we are in a a republic trying to understand monarchy. It's a little difficult for us to understand. But if you only ascribe to the gospel of salvation or the gospel of the cross or the gospel of the kingdom alone, if you only ascribe to one of those, then you're missing the beauty of the kingdom. It's both and. It's the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of salvation rests inside of it. But we see Jesus preach more about the gospel of the kingdom than anything else. And we would be wrong if we believed that he was only talking about salvation. Look at John 18. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews to die But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. The voice translation says it this way, my kingdom is not recognized in this world. That word world there is the same word, age or generation. My kingdom is not recognized in this current generation's ideology. Does that sound true to you right now? My kingdom is not recognized. But guess who is recognized? Jesus is still largely recognized. It's just people are turning him into what they want him to be. So they don't believe in the gospel of the kingdom. They believe in the gospel of self and that Jesus becomes what they believe their truth tells them that he is. 
So their ever-changing truth determines what Jesus does and how he behaves, and that is not Christianity. The Bible calls that false prophecy. Jesus preached as any other thing but a king is a lie. Him being a savior and Lord, all of that, it's under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. See, to live in the kingdom is to first receive the king, submit to the king, and then live in his kingdom. It's to live within the kingdom of God. See, a kingdom-minded Christian establishes and submits to his way over my way. It's his way, not my way. It's his money, not my money. It's his truck I drive, not my truck. It's his air I breathe, not mine. It's his world I live in, not mine. It's his church that Kelly and I get to pastor, not ours. It's his. And that changes how you treat Jesus. A kingdom-minded Christian who ascribes to his way over my way will stay planted when the winds and the waves of culture come and try to knock you off base, you stay firmly rooted. The kingdom of God offers beautiful things like purpose, life, a, a tribe to belong to, a future to believe in, protection from the enemy. What's not to love here? Why isn't everybody just a, a recklessly abandoned Christian? Why does it look like our world is going to hell in a handbasket when the kingdom is that attractive. Why is that the case? So if the gospel of the kingdom and Jesus Christ himself are so attractive, so genuine, so real, and so worth our lives, then what is opposing it? And why is that opposition so powerful? Have you ever wondered that? There is what the Bible calls the spirit of the age that exists in every society, in each generation and season. And what we're seeing right now in our culture, our city, our school districts, our nation, is a very vocal and violent spirit of the age. The definition of spirit of the age, this is not a biblical definition, it's just the definition, is a set of ideas, beliefs, and aims that is typical of people in a particular period in history. So if I asked you what was the spirit of the age of the 70s, y'all be like, yeah, man, love, man. Every generation, every, it's, got, it's got a spirit of the age attached to it. There's, there's a movement within generations. And sometimes it, it crosses generations, but there's this, this mindset, these belief systems, these, these ideologies and the aims, which is the goals that are typical of people in a particular period in history. Now, it's not everybody, but it's largely true. The spirit of the age at work today, and I'm going to ask you to please be very open-minded and understand that everything that we are reading today is out of the Bible and is for our benefit. The spirit of the age today, and what most scholars and pastors agree on, is the spirit of Jezebel. 
Now, spirit, the spirit of Jezebel, I know she's a lady in the Bible, but dudes can have the spirit of Jezebel. Spirit of Jezebel knows no gender. You heard the, you've heard of the word Jezebel before. You might have even accidentally or on purpose called someone a Jezebel, of which you probably suffered the consequences of. But let's learn what this really means. So Jesus in the book of Revelation is speaking, and he is rebuking a church in Thyatira. This is a thousand years after the actual lady Jezebel lived. She's already dead, but it's not the same person, but it's the same spirit working through other people now. So Jezebel is still there. Just like Elijah confronted the human named Jezebel in the Old Testament, Jesus now confronts Jezebel in the New Testament. It's, he's confronting the spirit of the age. Just like Ahab tolerated the wickedness in his own kingdom, the church in Thyatira was tolerating the wickedness of the spirit of Jezebel. And now Jesus is the new Elijah confronting the same spirit in the New Testament. Okay, you tracking with me? Bottom line here, whatever you tolerate will dominate. I, I, maybe you're like me and I'm really tired of hearing the word tolerance because it's not true. We're tolerant until I don't like you and what you stand for, then I won't tolerate you if you don't do exactly what I think you should be doing. That's not tolerance. That's abuse, that's bullying, that's manipulation. But whatever you tolerate will dominate. If you tolerate disobedience from your child, they will dominate you. Whatever you tolerate will dominate. If, if we don't speak, the spirit of the age will speak. If we don't lead, it will lead. If we don't activate, it will dominate. Let's look at Revelation 2. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Thyatira. Let's see what we can draw parallel uh, to today. Jesus says, however I have this against you, you have tolerated. That word in Greek is full pardon. You have given a full pardon to that woman Jezebel. Jesus is speaking to the spirit, not an actual lady. Who is a self-anointed prophetess. Self-anointed. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little leery of someone just self-appointing themselves as stuff. It's, it's, it's. Very uh, manipulative at best. See, the Jezebel spirit is very spiritual and sensual. Loves to weaponize the Bible. Loves to misquote scripture. And uses God's word to manipulate and control. The Jezebel spirit is also never silent. It cannot keep its mouth shut. It is not sneaky, it is loud, and it is a force to be reckoned with. The volume is apparent of the spirit of Jezebel. It's not indifferent, it's not quiet, it is front line. There's no snipers, it's just all bazookas. The self-anointed prophetess who misleads that word in Greek means to lead the sheep to death on purpose. Like walk them off the cliff and laugh about it. 
That's the attitude here. So the self-anointed prophetess who is using truth and manipulating it just enough to trick people who aren't aware of the fakes into believing that it's the real thing leads them off the cliff on purpose. And he says, leading my followers to commit immoral sexual acts and to eat food prepared for idols. Now the eat food prepared for idols part is literally just a cultural ideation of what we know to be wrong and we do it anyway. So even though you and I aren't eating food today for lunch that was prepared for an idol, where do we see that we have been deceived and deluded and doing evil? That's all that means. And he says in verse 21, I have provided them enough time to turn away. That's the word repent, metanoia. Meta and noia, Greek compound where meta is where we get the word metamorphosis. Uh, noia is where it's gnosis. It's where we get the word, like the Greek Gnostics. It's all in your head. Like, as I think, therefore I am. You know, it's like, it's all, it's all that. And the word repentance doesn't mean just to run from sin. It means to change the way you think. And Jesus is saying here, I've given so much time for people to change the way they think, but she refuses to repent. She refuses to turn. The spirit of this age, this current age, hates many things. But two primary things the spirit of this age hates, authority and truth. Authority and truth. Two of the things that the kingdom of God is built upon, this spirit is completely against. Against authority. Look, I mean, we got Elijah, 1 Kings 18. He's on Mount Carmel against 850 paid prophets. They were, the Bible said they were on Jezebel's payroll. 850 people on Jezebel's payroll and Elijah beats them all in a contest of calling fire down from heaven. And then Elijah takes them down to the valley, chops off all their heads. That's another sermon for another day. She's livid. She, she's so angry. Elijah runs and hides in a cave. She hates authority. She hates losing. She hates truth. She kills the Lord's prophets. And then she wants this guy's vineyard. His name was Naboth. And she wanted his vineyard. So she creates this scheme and he gets killed. So she takes his grapes. If you're in authority, she hates you. If you're a manager at your job, she hates you. If you're a teacher in our educational system, she really hates you. If you're leading any person, she will not submit to any authority. The spirit of this age will not submit. The spirit of this age says something like, I will not be dominated. I will be dominant. I will dominate. It's violent. It's ferocious. It's unmistakable. It's about control at the end of the day, is it not? But Christianity it's not about being in authority. It's about being under authority. Christianity is, not, is about being controlled by the Spirit, not being in control. Christianity is about, not about dominating. It's about surrendering. It's why we lift our hands in worship. It's about daily surrender. The Bible says, die to yourself every day. So our culture 
says find yourself, and the Bible says die to yourself. That's how we become Christians, is dying to ourselves and allowing the king to be on the throne. God, you're in control, not me. She also hates truth. We just talked about authority. She hates truth. I mean, this is a buzzword now, isn't it? She hates truth. If, now imagine, like, if, if your goal, though, is control, then that allows you to do or say whatever you need in order to maintain control. Jezebel doesn't live in a world of right and wrong, truth and lies, Jezebel lies. Also, when you see her in scripture, she lies every time her mouth is opened. See, the spirit of this age says, find yourself and you find truth. It goes all the way back to when they were forced us in school to read stuff about Thoreau. And you're like, ooh, that feels good. Let's go to nature and find myself. You know what I find in nature? Mosquitoes. That's what I find. <laughs> Never found myself. You want to see a dad find himself? Get the kids and not sleep at night in a tent. Then you'll find dad real quick. As like you finding myself. As like there, I don't want to. I, I, if I find myself, what am I going to find? The spirit of the sage says, "Find yourself and find truth." But the Bible says that when we look into ourselves, we will only find depravity in need of saving. So we're teaching our children to find themselves, to express themselves, to be themselves. And some of you are like, yeah, that sounds great. Wait until I preach on parenting next week. I've got some video clips to show you that'll make your toenails curl about what our children are hearing every day. Find yourself, be yourself, express yourself. And then if you don't like what you found, mutilate your body to be something else. The spirit of this age is so destructive that it seeped its way into legislative agendas that children who are physiologically unable to even make clear decisions until their brain is fully formed at 25 years old are now able to, without consent, mutilate their body surgically. When I was 14, I still wanted to be an astronaut. When Levi was six, he thought he was a cow. When we find ourselves, we only find depravity because the Bible says we were born sinners in need of a savior. Now I'm all about personality tests and like learning how to live in the world smarter and all of that. I get it. But never one time has the Enneagram told me who I am. It's just told me the dumb things I do a lot and why I do it. It's not who I am. I'm a child of God that was redeemed by God. And I live in the kingdom under a king. I didn't elect him. I can't impeach him. He's on the throne no matter if I like it or not. I can't change that. But I'm not about expressing myself. I want to express Christ. 
not about finding myself. I'm about finding more of Jesus. And in Jesus, I find meaning. See, the result of the spirit of the age is what we're about to read in Romans 1. Paul is speaking to the Romans, and this is where it ties in from the beginning, whose government paved the way legislatively for human depravity. Is this drawing any conclusions here for you? And Romans chapter one is still true today and tells us what the result is of that road being paved. It's amazing how the Bible is still true thousands of years later and fits every circumstance. And as I read this, I just, I ask that you would open up your hearts and minds and I'm gonna ask the band to go ahead and come on out and get ready to help me end the service. Look at Romans 1. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Have you felt that in culture today? When you try to stand for truth and then people call you foolish and bigoted and closed-minded and marginalistic and oppressive for standing for the designer's created intent. And the devil flips the script on you and makes you the evil one. Ain't that some majestic gaslighting? And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols that looked like themselves. And fish and birds and reptiles and basically the things that they thought were important, they worshiped it. But it started with themselves. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. We don't like scriptures like that. That's not one that you put on your windshield or on your mirror when you're getting ready or you don't keep that in your pocket to read for encouragement. And this is where it gets a little theological. For those of you that were raised either in a Southern Baptist church or Presbyterian church, or if you don't even know what I'm talking about, then just let me hit the reset button for you here now. There's Calvinism and Arminianism and there's free will versus election. And this is where Calvinism goes south fast. Because if we were all created by God on purpose, which hopefully we all believe that the Big Bang Theory is not right, you all weren't a monkey at one point, God made you on purpose. If that's true, then that means God created some of us to go to hell on purpose. And this verse here shows, though, the, the sadness of God's heart for his children. And this shows the free will. Like, if God really was forceful, then he'd be a dictator and not a father. And how many of you know you got older kids? Sometimes when your kids leave the house, you got to let them do what they want to do. It's the role of a father. And God was like, I... I'm not gonna force them into following me even though he very well could. And as a result, his children did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. 
They traded the truth about God for a lie. Even like we have the King James Bible, which is very close to New American Standard, ESV, NRSV, all of those, they're very close word for word. But there's a Bible out called the Queen James Bible where Jesus is homosexual and James and John and all the disciples are gay. We have traded truth for lies and we have manipulated the Savior into our own idol. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty of their sin. The Bible says that the penalty of sin is what? Death. That's true for all humanity. If the penalty of sin is death, then how do we satisfy that? Either you and I die a spiritual death and spend eternity in hell, or we accept Christ and allow his death to be the eternal sacrifice for that sin. That's Christianity. If someone offered to pay off your mortgage, you're like, nah, I got it. Imagine that times a bajillion percent. It's, it's unthinkable that we as humans think we could ever pay for the penalty of sin. But when we, the Bible says next, they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God. And this is where it starts to even go further south. People think it's foolish to submit to Christ. People think it's stupid to attend church. People think Christianity is this thing that you can check a box and the average American Christian only comes to church now once or twice a month. In the 80s, it was two times a week. They would go Sunday and Wednesday. That was the average American Christian. Now, you might come if your schedule allows. But that's the mindset when we only ascribe to the gospel of salvation and we don't see Jesus as a king. If he's a king and I live in his kingdom, then I submit to the ways of the kingdom. And what he says is best if we see him as king. But if we only see Jesus as a get out of hell free card, then we can never live a kingdom life on earth. Are you tracking with me? So if we think it's foolish to acknowledge God, then we're abandoned to our foolish thinking. And we do things that should never be done. Our, their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. In other words, one sin begets another sin, begets another sin, begets another sin. It's all tied together. And this is where, let me be very honest with you. This message has been heavy on my heart. I sent my sermon notes to the prayer team days ago and said, can you all read this and pray over it a lot? because I felt the weight of this. Because the next lines I'm gonna read are where most churches stop reading. Because it doesn't seem nice. But I promise you that you will never, ever be pandered to from this platform. And so I'm gonna tell you the truth here. It's written in God's word. It was written to people who were going through something that you, something very similar to what you and I are going through right now. He says, that if we don't acknowledge God and we reject God 
and we claim to be wise, but instead we're foolish and we trade the truth of God for a lie. Here's who we are. We're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. There are things my children come home and tell me that Kelly and I didn't have to deal with as youth pastors. Like I never had a teenager say that in 10 years of youth ministry, never heard that before. They invent new ways of sinning. And now these new ways of sinning are being celebrated as courage. The stakes are higher than they've ever been before. He says they refuse to understand, break their promises, heartless and have no mercy. But do you see how the devil flips it where if you speak truth, now you're heartless and have no mercy. So the, the devil has made it to where if you don't agree with sin, now you're heartless and merciless. They know God's justice requires those to die, like our, our sin leads us to death. They know that that's true. Worse yet, they encourage others to do it with them too. Most of the largest denominations in the United States have been in decline for three decades. The Methodist churches are selling buildings like crazy because there's no one in them. Just three weeks ago, the Methodist church split. One sect of the Methodist church believes in ordaining transsexuals. The other one doesn't. So the United Methodist Church is the liberal sect. The global Methodist church is now the conservative sect. This is happening right now, right in front of our eyes, that people are looking at the Bible going, that doesn't fit. And so we're going to parade around our dysfunction as courage and then tell you you're against God if you don't agree with my sin. We cannot be afraid to stand for truth or our children will pay the price heavily. And I know this isn't a feel-good message and I know you're not gonna go home and go, man, I feel better. I know that. I would rather have fun. I love to have fun. I'm a type three on the Enneagram. Chaos and volume and loudness is awesome. I love to party, but guys, we can't. We can't just come in here and dance around and sing Days of Elijah and hit each other with flags and tambourines and let our children think they're animals and let our children think they can mutilate their bodies because someone on TikTok told them it was true. We need the kingdom. We need the king. Because the kingdom of God is truth. And the kingdom of God is welcoming, welcoming us in with open gates to come in and find the safety and the protection. His way is the best way. Always. Does that mean it's the easiest way? Absolutely not. But is it the best way? 
yes. The best things are worth waiting for. And God's way is the best way. So I want you to go all in on these upcoming events. Part of this series is equipping you. And we're flying people in for this stuff. We're wanting to equip you in the best way possible. The first thing is, is tonight. It's growth track tonight. It's about taking an, an, your next step into making a difference with your life. Why? Because now more than ever, your children need to see you focusing on an eternal purpose. You had plans to mow the lawn today? Not anymore. The lawn will be long tomorrow. But growth tracks today. Come and meet some people. We had people sign up for growth track during the service because they responded to this message in first service. Sign, like get, get there. It's too important. Do you want your children to say about you on your deathbed? They were a hard worker. Well, good. Or do you want them to say, I am a child of God and my children know God and their grandchildren know God because they stood for the kingdom of God. This might be a morbid way to say it, but give them too much material to talk about at your funeral. Give them too much. Come tonight. The next thing is parent university. Guys, if you can hear this message about what culture is doing to our children and then say, I don't want equipped, I don't understand that personally, to be honest. It's free, even. Your kids are going to have a big party. We got all this stuff planned. Kirk and Debbie Freeman are coming to speak to us. They've raised children who've made it through this and they still love Jesus. I want to learn from people like that. I got a daughter who's going into junior high next year. I'll be on the front row. I need to know what's up. Sign up for that today. And then the next one is the Made to Last Marriage Conference. We're bringing in our friends from Las Vegas and they have got some incredible things to share with us. That one does have a registration fee because there's, there's a big dinner and it's, a, it's like a weekend conference. They're here all day Saturday and then they're preaching together that Sunday morning. And it's, a, it's a whole thing. And so sign up for these things and don't, don't ever let money be a reason you don't come. If you need some help, let me know. We'll find it. I'll go to your houses and look under your couch cushions. We'll get you there. But do not ever hear me. The staff laugh at me about this and they make this little motion with their hands, like, I'm gonna find the money. Like, I'm just gonna move something. We'll find the money. So if you can't get to this conference because of money, I'll find it. Just, the kids might get a little less goldfish, but you're coming to the conference. We'll, we'll find the money. Because if the enemy can destroy your marriage, he's got a clearer path to your kids. Make this a priority. Take a step forward today. Refuse to tolerate Jezebel in your home. Refuse to tolerate the spirit of the age in your home. These things are important. You know me. I hate meetings. I don't like doing events for no reason. I, we don't waste your time. If there's something that we invite you to, it's a big deal. And so come to these things, please. Please. 
Your family tree might depend on it. Everybody stand to your feet. Moving into what we call response time. Here's a couple things about responding to today. Number one, we need to repent. Which means what? Change the way we think. We need to repent for tolerating the spirit of the age in our homes. We need to reset our attitude towards the things of God. The things of God are not subjective. Truth is truth and it's objective and universal. So we need to reset our attitude toward that. And then we need to refocus. We need to get ourselves equipped. Pre-decide right now to attend everything offered to you. And here's the deal. I'll make you this promise. If you think it was awful and made you worse, I'll give you all your money back. Pre-decide. Well, Landon, that's my me time. Is that what you want them to say at their fun- your funeral? They really enjoy their me time. Are you going to stand for your generation and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? Because the devil's not taking a break. He is never taking a vacation. And the kingdom of God offers you something way more beautiful than you could make up on your own. We need truth. We need the kingdom. So as the prayer partners come down, we've got communion right here next to the speakers. And there's going to be a prayer partner there. They're going to tear the bread off. They're going to dip it for you and they're going to hand it to you. That's just a reminder of the body that was broken for you, the body of Christ that was broken for you, brutally broken for you, and the blood of Christ that was spilled every last drop for your sins to be forgiven. No one else in this world has ever loved you that much. And Jesus did that for you, and he's been looking for you. And today you have a chance to come make him your Lord and Savior today. And then the prayer partners are here to pray for you for anything that you need. Anything that you need. You want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Come down and pray with them. Say, I'm, I'm ready to receive Jesus as my king. They'll pray a prayer of faith with you and you'll be saved and heaven will have a party and the devil gets a black eye. Do you need prayer for healing? Come ask them. Pray for healing of this part of my body or maybe healing for someone else or it's something, whatever's bothering you, if it's your marriage, if it's your children, whatever it is, they want to pray faith with you. And then after I pray, the band's gonna start singing and the altars will be open. Come and respond. The devil is hoping that you stay in that chair. He's hoping that you act like the Romans did and refuse to stand. He's hoping that you sit there in your pride and refuse to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. He's hoping that you leave here the same. Don't let him win. Your life, your family, your family tree depends on your response in moments like this. Landon, that's heavy. Well, we're not after growing the church numerically. That's God's job. He sends whoever he wants. The American church got it backwards when we started to entertain and fill seats. And then when COVID hit, 65% of church attenders quit on God because they were connected to a program, not the Savior. And we will not pander 
or perform. This is a time for you to come and receive truth. That's what this is for. Wrestle with it. This is Christianity, guys. This is Christianity. Father, in this moment, I pray that our hearts and minds are wide open and that you would give us the courage and the boldness to take a step forward today. God, I'm so proud of these people in this room. And Lord, I pray that as they sat here and so graciously listened to a very countercultural message, that you would protect their heart and mind with truth and that you would give them courage to take a step forward today because you created them on purpose for a purpose and they're in this room on purpose. And we will see our generation one for Christ. We will see Jezebel removed from our children because we're going to take a stand and be courageous. So Lord, bless these people as they respond today. In Jesus' name, amen. Altars are now open. Come respond. We'll end the service here shortly. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.